0: Okay, I think um, I think most is it working? Is it on? Yes. Okay. Right. I think um, I think most people have dropped their kids off now on their way back in, and uh, it's uh, it's been a busy morning already. But I just wanted to say to, to all the dads out there because I'm a dad as well. Happy Father's Day! Have you had a good morning? Have your kids treated you well? No. I'll, I'll tell you what. I got a few IOUs. Um, I got a Father's Day card, and I got four IOUs in there. Um, two from my, um, who he calls his my favorite son. I said, you can't really say that. I've got two of you. Um, but my favorite son says that I'm allowed to go and have a coffee with him uh, at a coffee shop of my choice, and um, he will pay, but the timing of that depends on the, the size of his bank account. So I'm going to have to consult with him. At least I've helped him with fiscal policy and all that sort of thing. He's, he might be able to Help us in the future. Um, Caitlin, on the other hand, was a little more generous and she said, Hey, you can go to a restaurant with me anytime you want to, and I'm going to give you a second one. You can go out with me to a movie of your choice. Um, She doesn't have enough pocket money to pay for those, but uh, (laughs) I do appreciate the sentiment nonetheless. Um, So, yeah, it's been a good Father's Day for me. And just by way of introduction, for those of you that don't know, my name's Jeremy, I'm married to Becky. I've got uh, three children, uh, Joel, Caitlin, and Isaac. Um, we've got teenagers in the house, and uh, seven years ago, six years ago, we decided, well, seven years ago, we decided that's not good enough. We need a third, so we've now got a six-year-old in the house as well, and it's keeping us young. Um, but the truth is that all three of those children are, are really Very, very different. And um, when I was asked to talk on Father's Day, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, some advice on fathering, parenting techniques maybe. And the truth is, after three children, I've realized there's not one technique out there that I could tell you about that will work for every kid that you have. So um, I'm not going to do that. It just doesn't work that way. There's no one-size-fits-all approach to parenting. But the truth is there are biblical principles that parents can use. Now, the truth is, after those three children, I've realized that I'm not perfect. I get it wrong all the time, and oftentimes I feel like I don't know what I'm doing, and um, I have to throw everything I have before God and trust that He's a better dad than me, and He's going to raise my kids and make sure that um, they actually are raised in His ways, despite my, my bumbling attempts. I remember when, when Joel was born, I thought, I'm still a kid. And the truth is, when Isaac was born, I thought, I'm still a kid. It just feels like the older I get, the, the less confident I am in my own ability. I suppose it's because you find out more about um, how amazing God is and, um, and how small your ability is. So I went for a lot of advice through parenting, and a lot of this advice I'm going to share with you is um, from people that have the benefit of hindsight. Their children have grown up. Um, they've been able to look back and see um, what they did well, what they didn't do so well. And so a lot of what I'm going to share with you is from a man by the name of John Piper. Some of you probably know him. He's an amazing preacher, but more than that, he's been an amazing dad to his his children. So I thought it would be worthwhile looking at some of his advice for us. Now, I don't know if you feel like me sometimes, but um, I sit down and watch television every now and again, but we've got Virgin TV now so I can fast forward all the ads, but it seems like whenever I can't, I end up watching an advert that paints a bleak picture of dads. It generally seems that dads in these ads are a, a little bit spineless, mostly distracted, indecisive, possibly absent, either at work or at play. Um, they're basically a little disappointing, but the rest of the family keep them around Anyway, you know, because they feel sorry for them. Um, I don't like it. I don't, you know, it kind of offends me. At first, when I look at an ad like this, I get a bit offended. I see Homer's up there. Um, I sort of sniff at it, and, and I sniff at anybody that seems to be sniggering at that time, laughing at the stereotypical portrayal of, of the cornerstone, really, the, the leader, the, the head of the family, someone that's deserving of our respect. Um, but then I get a little more thoughtful, and I, I realize that I've done some of the things I see in, in those ads. I've been spineless. I've given in too easily. I've spent too much money on an impulse gadget buy. Um, I've followed my urges rather than stayed firm in my convictions. So I guess that sometimes the stereotype is deserved, but it still offends me. It offends me because it seems that dads have really let their families down. If this is the picture that society has of a typical dad in a typical family, they've really let their families down. It's one thing to be guilty of one or two of these foibles every now and again. But it seems that society now views dads as toddlers with car keys, completely incapable of leading, managing, inspiring, but necessary for things like pocket money or lifts to a party. And that's really sad to me. It's really sad to me because um, that image of dads affects the way that people see God. You see, he identifies himself as a father, and he established the pattern of families with a father at the head as a reflection of his own fatherhood. So if we as society have such a pitiful view of fathers, in general, I weep at what that is telling people about my heavenly father. And at the end of the day, when I make a mistake in my parenting, what really hurts me is, what is this causing my children to think about my father God? That's what really impacts me. You see, our Father in heaven is anything but a hapless, bumbling, appetite-driven airhead. The Bible tells us that He's just, that He's strong, that He's wise, that He's powerful, that He's selfless, that He's kind, that He's thoughtful, He's loving, and He's patient. And so on this Father's Day, I want to do a couple of things. Number one, I want to help paint a picture Of our awesome Father who deserves all of our praise and is to be imitated. I want to encourage the men in the room, those earthly fathers, you have an essential role to play in your family and it's not just about raising children who are resilient and believe in themselves. It is that, but it's far more than that. You're vitally, vitally important. And I'm so happy when I see how many children are in the room in the morning, because I know that means there's so many dads in the room bringing their children to church every Sunday. It's something to rejoice about at Real Life Church, and it's a rarity. It's something you don't see that often anymore. I also want to offer hope to those who have need of a father. Many of us have grown up without a dad, or have lost a dad, or, or have been disappointed by your Father, and um, I want to offer you a hope of wholeness. You're not fatherless. You have the most faithful of fathers in God. And I'm going to do this by way of Colossians 3.21. Simple text for today. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. What we're going to look at firstly is um, there is an address fathers. Paul's talking directly to fathers here. It's in the context of speaking to parents, but here he's addressing fathers. Secondly, there's a command to those fathers, do not provoke your children. And then there's a purpose for that command, so that they don't become discouraged. And we're going to look at this in reverse order. So uh, we'll start off with lest they become discouraged, then we're going to look at uh, do not provoke them, then we're going to end with fathers. But the first thing I want to do is give you a brief word about the fatherhood of God himself. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught his disciples to call God Father, didn't he? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He taught that God is not everyone's father in John eight verse forty two and forty four. He said, "Those who refuse to follow, if, to those who refuse to follow him. If if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceed and come forth from God. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. So not everyone is is God is." Um, are children of God. God is the Father of only those who are led by the Spirit of His Son. It says that in Romans 8 verse 9 and 14 through 15, Paul says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. All who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship when we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit Himself bearing witness with our spirits that we are children of God. So not everyone can claim the privilege of knowing God as Father, only those who are born of God, who receive Christ, and who are led by the Spirit. They are the ones that have the right to receive the inheritance of his children. Promises like Matthew 7, verse 11, which says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? The privilege of prayer and the promise that God will work all things together for your good is part of your inheritance as sons. That's what it means to have God as your Father. And there's two reasons I begin with this word about the fatherhood of God. Firstly, the role of every human father, as I implied at the beginning, is to reflect the pattern of the heavenly father, however faint or imperfect it may be. The most important thing for a father to realize is that they are to imitate the example of their heavenly father. So dads, when your children look at you, they should see a picture of what God the father is like. They should see His strength and His tenderness. They should see His wrath and His mercy. They should see His wisdom and His guidance. They should see His awesomeness and His humility. The other reason I, I'll start with this is to make sure that everyone in this room sees the relevance of this message, whether um, you were a father or not, or whether you've uh, had a good father or not. The message needs to make it clear that the sadness you feel at not being the kind of father I describe or, or not having the father that I describe can be overcome with joy today. Because God offers Himself as a father to anyone who accepts His gift of adoption by trusting Christ and surrendering to the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's really important that you get that. So there's two ways to listen to this message. Some advice to dads and as a parable of our Heavenly Father, and what He is like. And I'd hope that you all hear it in both senses. So let's go to our text then and start with um, the last bit, lest they become discouraged. This is the goal of a good father, to raise children who are not discouraged. That's what Paul's saying. The word implies really losing heart, being listless, spiritless, disinterested, moody, sullen, with a kind of blank resignation towards life. Don't be the kind of father who raises that kind of person. Instead, develop a style of fatherhood that produces the opposite of discouragement. So we're going to look at the opposites of discouragement. What is the opposite of discouragement? What does that look like? Well, I'd like to say three things. It looks hopeful, happy, and confident and courageous. You all got your drinks and your crisps, and there was a little card on there saying Courageous. Biggest thing I can say to all of us, regardless of whether you're a father or a mother, you don't have any children, you're about to become fathers and mothers in a few years' time, um, is be courageous. So I'd say that the negative form of verse 21 really implies a positive command as well. And this is an important thing when you look at the Word of God, where you see a negative command look for what's being implied in the positive as well. So, he's saying, make sure that they don't become dis- discouraged, but what he's meaning is, make sure that they become hopeful, make sure that they become happy, make sure that they are confident and courageous. And the truth is, if we stopped right there, we'd have said nothing distinctly Christian, wouldn't, would we have? I mean, quite honestly, there are very few parents on the planet that think that the aim of parenthood is to discourage children. I know some teachers that think that's maybe uh, their goal, Um, but I can't think of many parents that think that that's what their goal is. But Paul would be really upset with me, I think, if um, I only did that, if I used his words to confirm some natural wisdom. He's not been inspired by the Holy Spirit to confirm the insights of Dr. Spock. You know, we could read a hundred secular parenting books, but Paul has not written these words purely to confirm those. He was inspired to teach parents things that no natural eye has seen and no natural ear has heard. And this may not be obvious if the only thing you've ever read of Paul is the above verse, but the rest of his teachings... Make it plain that when he says we should be fathers who give hope instead of discouragement, he means hope in God, not hope in money or hope in popularity or hope in education or hope in a spouse or hope in a profession in professional success. If you had asked Paul or if you asked Jesus what kind of freedom from discouragement do you want Our children to have, he would not have said, I want your children to be freed from discouragement by being filled with um, hope that they'll become wealthy or they'll become well known or intellectual or married or, or successful. He means, be the kinds of fathers who do not discourage your children but rather fill them with hope in God. Fill them with hope in God. And when we consider happiness as the opposite of discouragement, Paul would not be content if a father then made his child feel good by giving them whatever they wanted. There is a happiness that kills. The Bible says of some kinds of happiness in James, let your life to be turned to mourning and your joy to dejection. I love that word. There is a happiness that has absolutely nothing to do with God and therefore has no value in the sight of God. It comes from creation alone, but not from the Creator. And that isn't what Paul is talking about when he says he wants fathers to put happiness in the place of discouragement. It's not happiness by all means. But there's another kind of joy that comes to mind. For example, in Psalms 4, verses 7 through 8, the Bible says, "'Thou hast put more joy in my heart "'than they have when their grain and wine abound.'" In peace, I will both lie down and sleep, for Thou alone, O Lord, makes me dwell in safety. There's a joy that comes from God that exists despite the circumstances that you find yourself yourself in. Fathers, don't discourage your children, but fill them with joy in God. Teach them early on and show them even earlier that through many sufferings, they must enter the kingdom, as it says in Acts, but that they can rejoice in those sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope in God. Don't discourage them. Make them happy in God by helping them to be be hopeful in God. And when we consider confidence and courage or courageousness as the opposite of discouragement, the message of the Scripture takes a massive turn there, a massive turn away from the common sense of the world. The world says, don't discourage a child, build up his self-confidence. The Scripture says, don't discourage a child build up his God-confidence. In fact, it's even clearer than that. It's more more implicit than that. It's explicit than that. It teaches, don't discourage a child, but do your very best to root out their self-confidence and to replace it with God-confidence. The Scripture knows that most people don't succeed in being self-confident, the Scripture knows that most people are actually quite unhappy with their, their inability to appear self-reliant and self-assured and cool and in control. Come on, I know you all feel that way. I know for those of you that are in the corporate world, you spend your days, week in, week out, feigning confidence because any sign of weakness will mean that you'll be eaten for breakfast. But you know inside that that's not how you feel. 100 percent, even the most confident of us. We walk out of the room and we think, did they see any weakness in me? And that betrays that lack of confidence in you. The Bible knows that about us. Why? God wrote it. He made us. He knows our condition. He understands it. So, when the Scripture teaches us to root out self-confidence, it means go for the root. It doesn't mean go for those half-withered branches of um, manifestation of self-confidence. Go for the desire to be self-confident, not the manifestations that make their way out into people's actions and behavior. I mean, one really clear illustration of how Paul was, doing, um, how Paul was, was getting this done in him through God, how, how God was doing that in him, is um, in 2 Corinthians 1 verses 8 through 9. He has a description of of how God was working on Paul for 20 years. That means this is a deep thing inside of each and every one of us. For 20 years, this was happening in Paul. And he says to the Corinthians, We do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly, unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself. While we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely or be confident not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. In other words, the purpose of Paul's affliction was, as it is um, the purpose of any good fatherly discipline, to root out the remaining self confidence of Paul's heart and to cast him on God alone. God knew he wouldn't get the job done if he was depending on himself. He would only get the job done if he was depending completely on God. Did God want him to be um, confident? Yes. Of course he did. He didn't want him to be listless, spiritless, moody, sullen, weak, and fearful, even though he put him into this very difficult situation It was God who came to Paul in Corinth and said to him, Do not be afraid, but speak and do not be silent, for I am with you. So the confidence that we're to build up in our children is not self-confidence, but confidence in the grace and the power of God. Do not be afraid. I am with you. The goal of Biblical fathers is to have children who say, with the psalmist in Psalm 60, O grant us help against the foe, for vain is the help of man. With God we shall do valiantly. It is He who will tread down our foes. A good father will consider How can I be like my own heavenly Father? How can I banish self-reliance in my life and in the heart of my children and fill them with confidence and courage and zeal and boldness that are rooted in the grace and power of God and not in themselves? How can I be the kind of Father whose children do not lose heart or become spiritless, Or listless or sullen or discouraged, but are filled with hope in God and happiness in God and confidence and courage in God and attempt great things for the glory of God. And that question leads us on to the second point that I want to look at, and that is do not provoke your children. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Again, we notice that the commandment is negative, so we look for something to be avoided, but also then what do we do that is positive? What do we do in the place of what we're avoiding? And um, it's a warning against the misuse of legitimate authority. I spoke to you about the context earlier. In verse 20, Paul says, "'Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord.'" That gives to parents a tremendous authority, a massive authority and responsibility under God. Children are to do what parents say. And now in verse 21, he cautions fathers against misuse of this God-given authority. So it's not all one way. I know you've seen those movies of the, the strict dad. Boy, you do what I say, you know, and they're just kind of cowering in the corner, scared of dad. Here Paul is saying, dads, don't misuse that authority that I've just given you. The misuse that he has in mind is, is that fathers might treat their children in such a way that their spirit is broken, that they become hopelessly discouraged. And Paul calls this misuse provoking them. Now, just very quickly, um, the word that's used in the original for provoking in Colossians is quite different to the one in Ephesians six four, where he says, "Do not provoke to anger." It's a different word; it's more general than that one. Um, and I think there's a reason that he uses a more general word here. It, it can be used; the same word can be used positively. So, if you look in two Corinthians nine verse two, where it says that the Christians in Achaia provoked the Christians in Macedonia to be more generous, there that word "provoked" can be positive; it can mean stirred them up, or motivated them. A little bit like Stu's been doing, you know, he's, he's been provoking you to be more biblical about your stuff. And Mel last week, she was provoking you to be more biblical about healing. It's not a negative thing, it's a positive thing. They're stirring you up. They're encouraging you to do better. Um, in choosing this broad and general word, I think Paul would have us teach that parents should avoid everything that ruins a child's confidence in God and leaves them hopeless and discouraged. He's not talking specifically about anger. He's talking about everything that could discourage them. And the truth is, when you see that, you realize that, hang on, this this requires a massive amount of wisdom and, um, and prayer, because not all short-term discouragements result in long-term hopelessness. And you can't just take your hands off, dads, and, and not discourage your children every now and again, because sometimes they do stuff that needs to be discouraged. Let's be honest. And on, if we look at our Heavenly Father, He often clearly brings short-term frustrations and discouragements into our lives. And the intent of those discouragements is so that we are encouraged to be faithful in Him. The exact opposite of being completely and utterly discouraged. So great wisdom is needed, dads. Um, So I'm going to give you two points then. What do fathers do that provoke children to long-term discouragement and hopelessness? And again, the positive, what can they do Um, that would encourage them to be courageous, to be confident, to be happy, to be hopeful. So first off, dads, some fathers fail to be happy and hopeful and confident in God. What you are in relation to God is far more important than any particular parenting technique that you choose to use? Will your children be happy in God if they see that fishing is a happier experience for you than worship? Will your children hope in God if the hope they see in you is in money? Will your children be confident in God if your whole demeanor communicates the desire to be seen as self-confident. The most important work that a father can do for the sake of his children is to be converted. And I know I'm speaking to a room of almost all men who believe they are converted. The most important strategy for raising children is to become a new man in Christ, whose hope And happiness and confidence and courage are in God and not in Himself. You don't have a hope of raising godly children if you yourself are not completely dependent on God. And we know this is true from Scripture because there we're taught to imitate our Heavenly Father. We're told to be holy as He is holy. We're told to be merciful as He is merciful. To be a good child, is to copy dad. It honors a father to be imitated, and we are commanded to honor our fathers. And so the most important question a father can ask is not, what shall I teach my children, but rather, who am I before the living God and before my children? What do I portray as I'm living in front of my children? about my relationship with my Heavenly Father? And that's a question I ask myself every single day. And sometimes I'm not happy with the answer. I've got to be honest with you. And I know that's the same for most of us. That's the first thing that fathers can do to provoke their children to long-term discouragement and hopelessness. They can fail to be happy, hopeful, and confident in God. Second thing that fathers can do to... Uh, which would provoke children to long-term discouragement and hopelessness, is to discipline them in an impulsive, erratic, and inconsistent way. Unpredictable, impulsive, hostile discipline makes children fearful, bitter, deceitful, and discouraged. They don't know where or why the explosion will come next they say to themselves, what's the use? How can I hope that being good is any better than being bad? Because I'm good one day, and I don't see anything from Dad. I'm good the next day, I don't see anything from Dad. I'm bad one day, I don't see anything from Dad. I'm bad the next day, I still don't see anything from Dad. And then I'm kind of good the next day, and bang, Dad's exploding at me. Dad's remembered what's happened in day three and day four and he's exploding on day five. And it leaves them confused. And so the spirit of, of moral hope is, is broken and it's, in its place becomes the sort of calculated, deceitful, discouraged maneuvering that, again, I know some of you see in the corporate world. On the other hand... When discipline is controlled and appropriate and consistent and based on clear rules and principles of justice in the home, an atmosphere is created where children flourish. They flourish in freedom. They know the limits and they feel secure and they are free to dream and to play and to plan and to work inside those limits of righteousness And I know you've all heard the illustration of playing a a game of football. Um, How much fun would it be if there weren't rules and there weren't lines around the field and you didn't know where the goals were? Those are the kinds of things that we're talking about. Rules can make life enjoyable, can cause you to feel creative and feel like there's a certain amount of freedom to express yourself within the boundaries of what what God has determined and what you, you as a family have determined. In that kind of situation, they gain confidence that this is the way God is. That He's not capricious. He doesn't just bash you when He feels like it. He's not impulsive or erratic or inconsistent. There is an order. There is justice, but it's tempered with mercy. There is there is hope and there is encouragement. And um, they think to themselves, I might even be able to accomplish something of value or, or even greatness if I fit into this order and I depend on His goodness, the goodness of the Father who, who loves me. So fathers, the, um, I'd, I'd say to you, don't provoke your children by being impulsive, erratic, or inconsistent in your discipline. Be like your Father in heaven so that your children can know Him and become hopeful and happy and confident in Him. Yeah? Third part then, the address to fathers. As I said, verse 20 said, children obey your parents, and um, that makes it quite clear that mothers as well as fathers are to be obeyed. Mothers and fathers have a shared authority over the children, but verse 29 is very particular. It's two fathers, And there's a peculiar role that Scripture gives to husbands and to fathers. Fathers bear a special responsibility for the moral life of the family. So I urge you to take up that responsibility, dads. And I urge you to be the kind of man who gives hope and happiness and confidence and courage to your children because you yourselves have found hope and happiness and confidence And courage in God. Yep. Okay. Do you want to come up and? Yeah. So, Lord, I just want to thank you that on this day where we celebrate fatherhood, um, not just in the UK but across the world, um, what we're really celebrating is an institution that you've put in place. Lord, that you model yourself as a father you you identify as a father that you have established families uh in a way that represents your church and your relationship with your people and lord i want to thank you first and foremost that we are children of the most high god and lord i want to thank you that when we look at your scriptures we see that you are not like many of the dads that we have met in our lives that you are faithful, that you are true, that you are kind, that you are just, that you're consistent. But more importantly than all of that, you're all-powerful, you're sovereign, and your promises are never broken. When you promise something to us, we know that it'll come to pass. Lord, I want to thank you that as a father, you've loved us so much that you sent your only son to die in our place so that we could come into relationship with you. And there's, um, there's a couple of things that I think, while we're, we're spending time in worship, we, we need to do. Number one, we need to lift God up. You know, as far as fathers go, this, this God of ours is amazing. He is wonderful. He is so powerful, and yet He loves us so much. Can you imagine for a moment that the God that took nothingness and turned it into everything was mindful of a speck of dust on a tiny blue planet in the middle of His creation? And because of His mindfulness of you, He sent His Son to die in your place so that you could live in relationship with Him. Just think about that. I mean, there's so much more that I could say about it, but just think about the fact that He is that magnificent, and yet He is that present and mindful and caring and loving. That is a God that is worthy of worship. So let's worship that Father. Secondly, for those dads in the room, And those men that father in in different um, contexts, maybe you're fathering um, a bunch of teenagers at the back. Maybe you are a teenager who's fathering and you don't know it yet because you're helping out at a youth club. Uh, Let's pray for those dads that they would be good reflections of their father in heaven, that their ministry of showing the character of God to their children would be a fruitful one and that they would raise children that that when they look at their dads when they look at their youth leaders that they would see men that are examples of their father in heaven that would leave them feeling happy and hopeful and confident and courageous they are safe in the hands of father and I think we also need to pray for those that that feel like we've really had a raw deal on earth we feel like we've been let down by our dads, and that has injured us. It has hurt our view of manhood. It's damaged our view of fatherhood. And to be quite honest, it's, it's made it very difficult for us to trust God. We know He saved us, and we're thankful that we're going to heaven. But when He asks us to do something, we're suspicious, and we're afraid to respond because we know what happened when dad said that. So let's do that. Let's stand up. Let's worship God. And Lord, I ask that as, as we stand to worship you as our Father in heaven, that Holy Spirit, you'd be working in the hearts and lives of each and every person here today. That you'd be inspiring the fathers in the rooms, in the room. That you'd be inspiring them with um, strategies, techniques, and all sorts of different ways of of reaching out to those that they're responsible for. But more importantly than that, Lord, I pray that you would touch their hearts right now so that they are filled with a love for you that they have never felt before. That they are filled with a a hope in you that they've never felt before. That they are filled with a, a, a joy in you that that just overwhelms every circumstance that they find themselves in. And because of that, they find themselves standing confidently and courageous, not because of their abilities, but because they know who their dad is. And Lord, for those that, that really do feel like they've been let down by, by their, their earthly fathers, whether they've disappointed them because of their, the way they've, they parented or they've been absent, just completely not there for, for whatever reason. Lord, I pray for healing and for hope there. I pray that that sadness would be swallowed up in joy this morning as they see you, their heavenly Father, coming down towards them and saying, I sent my son so that you could be my child. I've adopted you into my family and I'll be the father to you that you never had. And Lord, that they'd be filled with hope and joy and confidence and courage. That Holy Spirit, you would, you would break down all of that stuff that's happened in their hearts and they'd be able to trust you completely with their lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.